Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and find the book of Romans in the New Testament. And um, it's okay to look in the uh, table of contents and find that. And uh, when you find Romans, find the eighth chapter. 37 years ago, I graduated from high school. That's quite a feat. I know, Woody. Thank you. Um, 37 years ago, I graduated from high school. That was some 150 pounds ago. And... uh, But I remember my final exam in Coach Bobby Johnson's class, and um, he wrote on the chalkboard, he said, uh, make sure you read your instructions well. And we did what all high school students do. We decided we'd do it our way. So I started the test. So did everybody. I was about three questions in and realized I don't know any of this. Now, let me remind you, and this will be so shocking to many of you, I desperately needed to pass this exam to walk. This is what we call not studying for a year. I'm about 15, 20 minutes into the exam, and I'm noticing there are people turning their exam in and walking out the door as happy as pigs in slop. And I am puzzled. So I look at the board where it says, read your instructions carefully and read all the way through your exam, buried in the middle of page number four in Coach Bobby Johnson's exam were these words. If you will simply sign your name and date it at the bottom of the last page and hand it to me and walk quietly out the door, you will receive an A+. Bingo. I signed my name because I didn't know anything else to write on that piece of paper dated it appropriately, handed it to Coach Johnson, to which he gave me that look of just shut up and keep walking, Alan. (laughs) I walked out that door with an A-plus on my exam and walked proudly across the stage at South Gwinnett High School without honors. (laughs) In Romans chapter 8, if there were such a thing as a Hall of Fame of Bible verses, chapter 8 of the book of Romans is that book. It's that verse. In verse 1, it says, there is therefore. Now, remember what I've taught you. Every time you read in Scripture the word therefore, you stop and ask, what's the therefore, therefore, right? That therefore is to remind us that everything that was said in chapter 7 comes down to this statement. No matter how hard you work, no matter how many rules you keep, you can't make God love you more, and you can't go to heaven on your own, and you can't be good enough to earn your way into God's care. And the same author of chapter 7 says in the beginning of chapter 8, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So in other words, the Scripture says there that, that no matter what you've done, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad you think it is, no matter how bad you think somebody else did, God says there is, you're not condemned. The gavel 
in the courtroom of heaven has come down, and God has said as the ultimate judge, you are not guilty. I don't condemn you because Jesus paid your price for you. You deserve it, but Jesus said that. Therefore, he says, there's no condemnation. You're not condemned to die. You're condemned to life because of Christ. Then in the middle of the chapter, in verse 28, it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So the same God who says, I don't condemn you, I accept you. The same God who says, I don't, I, I don't just push you off, I love you. The same God who says, I don't look down an evil nose and find fault with you, I adore you. That same God says in the middle of this chapter, the Hall of Fame chapter, he says, I'm going to allow all things to work together for good if you love me. And when that happens, you may not understand it, you may not be able to control it, but I've got you. I've got this secure. I've got you. And then he goes further and says in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God makes us an offer, a little bit like Coach Johnson did, that seems too good to be true. God says, I'm making you this deal because I am for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what has happened, no matter the, 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 the screw-up you've made of your life, no matter what's happened in your world, I'm for you. I'm in your corner. And some of you are saying, well, Chuck, clearly he doesn't know me. You can't imagine how bad I've messed up. God says, none of that matters to me. I'm for you. I'm in your corner. I've got your back. I'm never going to leave you alone. I've got you. I'm for you. That is one of the most beautiful poignant statements that I believe we could ever receive today is the understanding that God, the one who spoke this world into existence, who knew you before you were formed in your mom's womb, who has great plans for you to allow you to thrive in a world that wants to defeat you, that God is for you. To all degrees, no matter what you've experienced, he is for you. In 1981, a fellow by the name of Eugene Lang, who had gone on to have an extraordinary career and made millions and millions of dollars in business, went back to East Harlem where he had graduated from a small elementary school in East Harlem. And he was asked to bring a commencement speech. I did a couple of those this year. And, and at commencement speeches, you basically say the same thing. When your kid graduates from fifth grade to sixth grade, when your kid graduates from eighth grade to ninth grade, when your kid graduates from twelfth grade to college, when your kid graduates from college off your payroll, whatever the case may be, when you celebrate that, whoever the dude is or dudette is that says that commencement, they all say the same thing. It's going to be good. Life's going to be great. Look at how hard you've worked. Stay the course. I mean, you're glazing over right now just thinking about it. And Eugene Lang was doing all that. And he looked across the crowd, and the crowd's just like, <clears throat> and so he's thinking to himself, what am I going to do here? So he stops in the middle of his statement, and he says, hey, I got a great plan for you. I'll tell you what I'll do. If you will, if you will study, and you will leave the school and go to middle school, and if you'll leave and study and stay in middle school and go to high school, if you complete high school, I will pay for you to go to college. And it took a minute. But the people in that room started looking around and they thought, wait a minute, this cat's serious. 
All these years later, now more than 13,000 students have finished college that came out of that little elementary school because somebody convinced them, I'm for you. Eugene Lane made those people believe, I'm for you. But you know, he didn't just say it. He did something about it. Doesn't it make a difference when you know somebody's for you? I mean, doesn't it just ring a bell? Doesn't it resonate in your heart? Somebody is for me. The, The verse says, though, if God is for us. Now, when we read that, if sounds like it's conditional, right? I mean, Bill Clinton wasn't the first one to question the definition of if. I may not have inhaled, but I don't know the definition of if. (laughs) God says, if I'm for you, but, but it's not conditional. See, the Greek word for if in this case doesn't mean that God's being for us is a possibility. It literally means it's a certainty. If God is for us, literally is this, of course God is for you. That's how it reads, of course God is for you. If I, if I say this, if, if, if I say, hey, Jenny, it's, it's noon. If we don't hurry up and eat, we're going to miss lunch. Now, that's not a condition on whether I'm going to eat. It's when I'm going to eat, right? Hey, if the pastor's not done at noon, we're late. That's not a condition of whether I am or not. It's the fact that we are. Are you with me? God says, I am for you. Think about that. God is for you. Your family may have deserted you. Your friends may have disappointed you. Your child may have left you. Your job may have been taken away from you. But God is for you. The one who spoke the mountains into existence, the one who laid the floor of the oceans, the one who put a hundred billion stars into a hundred billion galaxies, who scientists now say are 30 million light years long, that God who did that with the flippant vocal cord is for you. Now think about that. The God who did all of this is for you. You want to put something on your resume? You want to put somebody for a reference? God's for me. Really, how do you know that? He said it. Well, how can I know that? He's God. He can't lie. Well, I'm putting that on my resume. God's for me. You say, but Chuck, you just can't imagine what what I've done. But listen, God is for you. God is for me. God is for us. Not was, not will be, not might be, but is right now. His availability for you is not dependent on whether you're good or bad. God is not a heavenly Santa Claus who's checking his list twice. I mean, we, we don't sing of God you, you, that little Christmas song, you know, right? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. God, God's not checking his list. He looks at you and he says, I'm for you. Yeah, but Chuck, he, surely he's not for that guy. Yeah, he is. He's rooting for you. Listen to me. The picture on God's refrigerator is you. Your birthday circled on his calendar. If God drives a heavenly car, the bumper sticker on the back says, my kid is an honor roll student. And you're his kid. He's pulling for you. He wants you to succeed. 
He wants you to win. And he has a plan and a design for you that blows our mind. God is cheering for our future. He knows our favorite food. He knows how we like to spend our favorite afternoon. He wants to overwhelm us with him. It's like at the end of Russell Crowe's movie, Gladiator. After he's defeated all the bad guys, after all the things that could happen to this poor dude, the crowd in that Roman theater, they're all screaming, Maximus, 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 and it's reverberating through the ground. And it's almost deafening as you hear, Maximus, Maximus, Maximus. Listen, throughout heaven and on earth, the God of all creation is cheering for you. That's my kid. Do this. Don't quit. You say, well, Chuck, how do I know that? Revelation 14, 2 says, his voice is like the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the rolling of a loud thunder. Listen, with your heart, hear him calling you. He sees it all. He's witnessed all your victories. He's aware of all your defeats. He wants all your God-inspired dreams to come true. He wants you to help him make this world a great place. He picked you to be a part of his redemption plan for mankind. And you say, no, Chuck, maybe that guy, maybe that lady, maybe that family, not me. But God didn't put a condition on it. He said, God is for you. I'm for you. Who could be against you? God is for you. Isaiah 49 says, I have written your name on my hand. That's the voice of God. I have written your name on my hand, your name, your details, your heart. God has inscribed you in the palm of his hand, the same hand in which he holds the universe. And he says, I'm for you. I'll never turn my back on you. I've got you. I don't know about you, but there's nothing like knowing somebody's for me. There's nothing like knowing somebody didn't give up on me. There's nothing like knowing somebody stuck with me when everybody else walk out the door. God is for you. You say, well, Chuck, I, I just can't believe it. Well, God, God is for you despite your failures. God's for me despite my failures. God is for us despite our failures. The problem we have with Romans 8 is this concept that how could God be for little old me? Because he loves you. He created a plan for you. Warren Buffett, one of America's greatest investors, decided to raise some money for his foundation. So he auctioned off lunch to have with himself. And he auctioned off a one-hour lunch. Before you bought the lunch or paid the tip or anything, he auctioned off the hour. One person paid him $351,000 to have lunch with Warren Buffett. That's Warren Buffett. Now think about this. The God who created the sky, the clouds, the sun, the moon, the stars, and you said there are no roaming charges there are no data collections, and I am free, and you can access me 24-7, and you don't have to auction it off. You can't buy it. You can't pay for it. 
I am right here. I've never left your corner. And when you made a colossal mess of your life, when you made poor decision after poor decision, when you made great decision after great decision, when you did all things wrong, when you did all things right, I never left you. God said, I am for you, even in the midst of your failures. In the courtroom of heaven, imagine Satan, the great liar, finally becomes the truth teller. And he picks on somebody in the courtroom, say Chuck. And he presents the case of Chuck before the courtroom of heaven and before God. And the liar suddenly telling the truth says, that one, that guy, the one who calls himself reverend, the one who is Pastor Chuck, that one has harbored impure thoughts. That one has acted on those thoughts. That one has recorded verifiable, certified, notarized cases of gossip and sin and hatred and bitterness and cheating and lying and coveting and smugness and laziness. And the list goes on and on until it's embarrassingly personal. And finally, I just stand up and say, that's enough. I, I can't take it anymore. I'm guilty of all of it. And I look at, the, I look at the, the judge and I say, God, I'm guilty of all those things. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I knew what I was supposed to do, but I didn't do it. I knew better, but I kept doing wrong. I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your salvation. I don't deserve for you to be for me. But what would make me think I deserved it anyway? And the gavel came down. And Satan knew he had victory. He had it in his back pocket. This is a slam dunk deal. I've caught you red-handed. And the gavel goes down and God says, he's guilty of all those things. But somebody paid the price for him. And that somebody was my little boy named Jesus who took the robe of heaven off and stepped off of his throne to become a little boy of a peasant girl. And after all the words and after all the miracles, chose to die the most gruesome death so that that guy could have life more abundantly and life eternally and have a right relationship with me. The gavel went down and Satan was defeated and the courtroom was in an uproar and God said, come here. Sit in my lap. I got you. I'm in your corner. That's what God did. That's how I know he's for us. But you know what? When verse 8 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, well, I look at that and I think there's three fundamental philosophies in the way we go through life. Some of us are natural pessimists. Sky's falling. I mean, you can find a gray lining in every silver cloud. I mean, don't you immediately thought of somebody, didn't you? Maybe you're that person. You can find something wrong with everything. Maybe you're Pollyanna. Maybe you find, you find something right with everything. I, I would argue that a biblical view is neither of those. I would argue that a biblical view is a pessimistic optimism. That says, I know this world is a messed up place. I know I'm a sinful person. I know that I'm capable of all manner of evil. I, I know this is a messed up world. And the glass is just flat out empty, but God holds the pitcher and he's the one that can fill the cup. And when I allow him to fill it up to, to overflowing, all of a sudden, when I need a new chapter in the book, he doesn't just get me a new book. He gets me a new book, a highlighter, reading glasses, reads it to me, teaches it to me, lets me learn it, hands me the book, and he says, here, it's yours. 
Because you see, in pessimistic optimism, it says this, I know I'm a messed up person, I know I'm in a messed up world, but I know God reigns, and I know God being for me trumps Satan tempting me all day, every day, all the time. Because my God is for me, your God is for you, our God is for us. And when I look at that, I recognize Romans 15, 13 that says, you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God said, I want you to have a right relation with me. I'm going to send my son to pay the price that you should pay. And when you accept him paying the price for you, I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now you can be overflowing, confident through hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't need my glass to be half empty. I don't need my glass to be half full. I need my glass to be full of God because he is for me. God's before, for me despite all I've ever done. And maybe today Satan's reminding you right now of all the sins you've ever committed. He's trying to get you to quit, trying to get you to give up hope on a God that loves you, a God that is for you. Listen, what Romans is saying to you, what God is saying to you is don't quit. Don't stop. Don't settle. God is for you. Whatever you do, don't quit. You say, but I don't know if I can take any more. God says, I'm in your corner. I'm going to give you fresh water. Let me fill up your cup. You say, well, Chuck, I, 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 need, to, I need to do something. I'm a doer. I need to do something. Okay, let me give you five quick things. You ready? If you really want to work on this, take 21 days. Do these five things. Take you five minutes a day. For all you people who say, you know what, Chuck, I don't have time to read the Proverbs. I don't have time to read the Gospel of John. All that stuff you always tell me, I can't do all that. I'm just too busy. You don't understand. I got stuff to do. Okay, well, here's your five things, all right? Ready? Number one, every day, write down this. And if you can't do this in about 10 seconds, you're overthinking it, all right? Three things you're grateful for today. What's three things you're grateful for today? Well, you know, I'm just not grateful for anything. Well, let me introduce you to Jesus. What's three things you're grateful for today? Number two, what's something you've done in the last 24 hours that was meaningful to somebody? Write it down. You say, well, you know, Chuck, I don't really do things for other people. You probably did, and you didn't even think about it. And if you didn't, what if you write down, this is what I'm going to do in the next 24 hours for somebody else? You know what gratitude causes us to do? Be grateful enough to give of ourselves. Go, choose to turn outward. I mean, the, the greatest way to overcome the insecurity of not believing God is for us is to go do something for somebody else. Number one, what am I grateful for? Number two, what, am, what have I done or what am I going to do that's meaningful in the next 24 or the past 24? Number three, communicate praise to somebody else. So if you're a texter, send a text. You're an emailer, send an email. You're a Facebooker, send a Facebook. You're a, you're a tweeter, send a, send a tweet. You, you're an Instagrammer, send an Instagram. If you actually still write a note, write a note. If you want to make a call, that's even better. Even better, face-to-face. -face. Just tell somebody how grateful you are for them. Just tell somebody, just, just pick somebody. Man, I'm grateful. I got old Jeff Grunlin down there. You know what? I'm grateful for you, dude. I'm glad you're my friend. You know what? You're, you're, you're for this church. I love you. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful you're my friend. That's not in my notes, by the way. I really am. I'm just grateful for you. Who are you going to tell that to today? You know what I've learned? Sometimes people don't know you're for them because they've never heard it. Sometimes your spouse doesn't know you're for them because they've never heard it. And I get it. 47 years ago, I told her I loved her. If I changed my mind, I let her know. <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Tell somebody, praise somebody, all right? 
Number four, exercise your brain and exercise your body. You say, Chuck, that's where you lost me. I don't have time for that. Well, you can exercise your brain. You say, how do you do that? There's a million ways to do that. Think outside of whatever you do normally. Jenny makes me play the dumbest games known to man. And by the way, she changes the rules in the middle of the game every time. <laughs> Last night, she beat me so badly. We were playing gin. And now, I grew up in a house where if you played cards, you were going to hell. All right? I never understood it. I could listen to Leonard Skinner, but I couldn't play cards. I never got that. <laughs> My dad right now just turned over in his grave. She beat me so bad, and I want you to know she is not a good winner. She danced. It was ugly. But she changes the rules of the games. But you know what? She makes me think of things I don't normally do. She makes me read things that I wouldn't normally read. She exercises my brain. You know, you know what exercise for your body and your brain does? It's not so much that I'm fit. It's, it's, it's this. is that there's something to work for tomorrow. It trains my body that there's something else to work for. There's something else to care for. There's something else to move for. My wife is so good at making us think. We exercise our brains. And then finally, yeah, if you need a mystic term, I'm happy to give this to you, okay? Meditate. So if you're like one of those, you're like an Oprah mystic, oh, knock yourself out. I don't care. But, but if, you, if, you, if you grew up in, in a church, you need a little more biblical term that pray. All I'm saying is talk openly to God. On my way into church this morning, I'm, list, I'm listening to the music that we do. And, and, and in between every song, you know what I'm saying? God, thank you for being for me. I'm just talking out loud to him. God, thanks for, thanks for having a wife that loves me. Thanks for kids that love me. Thank, thanks for grandbabies. Thanks for a new grandbaby on the way. God, thanks for that it's not raining this morning. God, God thanks that I, the, the car has gas in it. God, thank I mean, I just I couldn't stop. Just, I just want to talk to God. I want to tell him. And by the way, when you talk to God, please don't break out the, oh, God, where art thou voice? <laughs> Do you go through the drive-thru at Wendy's and order a number one that way? <laughs> I shall have a number one. <laughs> hold thou onion. <laughs> oh, Wendy, hold that onion. You don't do that. I mean, if you're from the South, you say, hey, I'll have number one right there. How's your mom and him? Right? Well, just talk to God. He, he, he knows you're making all that junk up. Right? Just talk to him. And you know what I've learned? When you openly talk to God, you'll find it easy to talk openly about God. And when you talk openly about God, you'll find it easy to encourage people around you. And when you find it easy to encourage people around you, you're exercising your brain and your faith. When you exercise your brain and your faith, you know what you'll find? All of a sudden, you're grateful. It's funny how that works, isn't it? I look at that and I say, but some of you are more spiritual than that. You don't need a list of things to do. You say, I need some points here, Chuck. I came to church. I need a point. I need to write something down. I need a point, preferably alliterated. I got it. You ready? If you're looking for reason why God is for you, the cross is proof that God is for you. It's said so quickly in Scripture, God did not spare his own son. I mean, it's like that. In a matter of a second, too, that's what we said. But let's slow down and realize there's no way any of us would ever comprehend what it was like for Jesus to take off that robe of glory, become the son of a peasant girl, speak all those words, 
declare all those miracles, die a horrific death, walk out of that grave, forgive all those who had wronged him, and provide a home for all of us who have wronged him equally bad so that we could have a right relationship with God. God didn't spare his own son on the cross. How much more so does he want to give that for us? That's proof that God is for us. But you know what else is proof? Forgiveness is proof that God is for us. In October 2005, a dude by the name of Moses Bittock, he was a Kenyan that had moved to Iowa, USA. There's a whiplash for you. But in October 2005, Moses Bittock was declared and sworn in as a United States citizen at the Iowa Federal Building. He left there and on his way to work, stopped by a convenience store, bought a lotto ticket and won 1.89 million bucks. Yeah, I know. I know what some of you are thinking. When I leave church, I'm buying a lotto ticket. If you win, that tithe check is Sugar Hill. (laughs) Naturally, I'm not for gambling. They interviewed Moses Bittock, and here was his quote in the Iowa paper. It's almost like you adopted a new country and they netted you 1.9 million. It couldn't happen anywhere in the world, I guess only in America. So watch this. As soon as you accept Jesus who doesn't condemn you, but grants you not guilty status. You receive citizenship in the kingdom of God as a child of God. And his riches of eternity far outshine and far outweigh Moses Bittock's 900 grand that he probably netted or anything else we could ever imagine. From verse 32, the promise that God will graciously give us all things. Maybe your scripture says he freely gives us all things. Or one translation says he will lavish upon us all he has to give. Or maybe another says, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Imagine in the time of Jesus where a blind man sat by a gate asking for alms, begging, and maybe somebody gave him a quarter. Maybe somebody pitched him a buck. Maybe somebody gave him $5. Maybe somebody brought him leftovers from lunch. Maybe somebody sat down and read a book to him. Jesus came along and said, now you can see that would be a lavish gift. Imagine a man who had never had feet and strength and the ability to walk, and Jesus walked by. Maybe that man had received a pittance. Maybe he had received a dollar or two. Maybe somebody had given him some food. Maybe somebody carried him from place to face. Jesus came along and said, get up and walk. That would have been a lavish gift. To put in context what Scripture is really saying here is, what would be greater, a tank of gas or a new vehicle? To a new couple with a little baby that has been crying with colic for seven months, what would be nicer, a night out on the town or a brand new home? The comparison just can't really be made, but there's, that's the context, that's the depth of what this verse is trying to share with us. God doesn't want to give you a tank of gas. He doesn't want to give you a night out on the town. He has such great things in mind for us. He wants to overwhelm us with his goodness. Paul says he's already given us his son specifically to die for us, so why wouldn't he then forgive all of our sins? God is for you. My favorite Disney movie of all time is The Lion King. I love me some Lion King. Simba is a stud. 
If you remember, Simba's dad is the king of Pride Land. But he has a wicked, evil brother. And he plots to have the king of Pride Land killed and overthrown. And wickedness and darkness inherit the land. And Scar convinces young Simba, who's supposed to inherit all the king's goodness, all the king's riches. Scar convinces Simba that you're the reason. You're the problem. And so Simba runs away and he hides. In his insecurity and in his anxiety and in his fear, he runs away from all of life. But he meets a cute little girl named Nala. And I've noticed, guys, when we meet somebody and fall in love, life does get better, doesn't it? I mean, more complicated, but better. And they make their way back to Pride Land where they see that the earth is scorched and everything is gray. But they meet an old wise baboon by the name of Rafiki and Rafiki takes Simba aside and coaches him and disciples him and works on him. And there's a point in the movie where young Simba, the whole world is against him. Nobody is for him. That there's nothing going right for him. And deep down in the crevices of his soul is fear and anxiety and insecurity and worry and fret. And that wise old sage takes that young lion cub and says, look into the water and see your reflection. And young Simba looks into the water and he doesn't just see himself, he sees past himself and he sees his father. He sees his daddy. And his daddy says, son, this was your destiny. This is your kingdom. Go act like it. Go claim your victory. And as we know the rest of the story, Simba and Nala went on to do that very thing. This morning when you looked in a mirror, maybe you got caught up in seeing all this. But listen to me. The same God who flung those galaxies into place stood beside you, in front of you, behind you, and within you. And he said, I am for you. When you look in the mirror tonight and lay your head on a pillow, see your heavenly daddy as he says, my child, I'm for you. Father, thank you. In the midst of all of our insecurities, in the midst of all of our heartache, in the midst of all of our challenges, in the midst of our fear, our weakness, our pain. God, there you are for us, never against us, with us, never leaving us alone, before us, always making a way, behind us, always picking up the pieces, cheering for us, 
this is your kingdom live like it this is your kingdom I died for you this is your kingdom I'm for you so God I pray we'd live like it we'd act like it and we'd react like it in the name of Jesus our King our Savior and our Lord we pray